Psalm 19, once again, hear the very words of God. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and altogether righteous. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, once again we've come to this magnificent psalm that speaks of your great glory, of your profound creation that declares your glory, that speaks of the, the Word made real to us, both in the flesh and the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, but your decrees and judgments in all things, how precious and right, valuable and sweet they are. And now as we look at the end of this song, Lord, we are reminded that we are creatures who are given to sin and far from you and accept for your profound sacrifice we would remain far from you, but you have brought us near. You have made for us a redeemer, and we are grateful. Father, help us to proclaim the good news of that redeemer to the world. Help us to recognize our own sin and to turn from it. That our speech might be pure, and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your eyes. And we ask this of our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today, brethren, I'm going to conclude my series on sovereignty, stewardship, and sacrifice. As I mentioned last week, I probably should have begun with this psalm. And so to, uh, today's final lesson, though dealing with sin and the, the difficulties it is for us, has a profound great promise to us as well. And we'll be looking at both of those things today. We know and can understand sacrifice, the nature of sacrifice, because God is the author of sacrifice and we are made in His image. 
Our understanding of sacrifice is derived from his revelation of sacrifice to us. Apart from this attribute that God has, that of being a God who sacrifices, and his revealing that to us, apart from those two things, we would have absolutely no understanding of sacrifice at all. We would not have a word for it. It wouldn't cross our minds. But because God is who He is, a sacrificing God, and He's made that known in history to us, it should be part and parcel of our beings because we bear His image. As we look into the latter part of Psalm 19, we see no reference to the word sacrifice. The word does not appear at all in the psalm. Yet, sacrifice is an indispensable aspect of salvation in the scriptures. What we do see in Psalm 19 is the psalmist pleading to God for deliverance from secret faults and presumptuous sins. For God to accomplish these requests, sacrifice must be made. Before we bring uh, the details to bear on these two requests of David in the psalm, it's important again to consider the text. Our primary text today is verses 12 through 14, but we must not lose sight of what's gone before. David has recounted in the first 11 verses the loud voice of creation that declares the glories of God. The firmament showing forth handiwork of God to bring about his glorification. The sun as a bridegroom traversing the sky as a strong man running a race. And nothing escaping that sun's heat. We spoke of those things last week in the sermon. David then turns from the general revelation of the creation to the special revelation of God's Word in verses 7 through 11. Not only does God's handiwork in creation declare His glory, but His law, His testimonies, His statutes, His commandments, and His judgments reveal His attributes such that man fears Him and worships Him. These things are more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. Then David turns from these sweet-tasting and valuable revelations of God to his own secret faults and his blatant sins. This is the reality of the world in which we live. God's creation declares the glories of the Lord. His word we possess is beyond value and is sweet and exposes our sin and profound need for redemption. All of these good things that God has done casts a mirror before us. And when we look into that mirror, we realize how far we have fallen from His perfection and His grace. We come to grips with our sin and the profound need for redemption. Thankfully, God is not absent in redemption either. It is He who determines the bounds of redemption and graciously makes it known to men. It is God who is near to David, the sinner, 
near enough to hear David's cry for help and save him. It is God who is near to us to hear our cries for help and to save us as well. So let us consider these valuable and sweet revelations God has given to us, even though they speak of sin. In verse 12 we read, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Brethren, our catechism identifies two basic forms of sin. Sins of commission and sins of omission. The sins of commission are those we do knowing full well they are prohibited by God and we blatantly disobey. There are also sins of omission where we are required by God to do something and we omit doing it. That too is a violation of God's law. By way of example, the fifth commandment requires us to honor our fathers and mothers. Not honoring them is a sin of omission. We are omitting obedience to a command of God. Similarly, bearing false witness against our neighbor is a prohibition by God. It is something we are not to do. It too is sin when we violate that commandment. Those who do bear false witness against their neighbor commit the sin of commission, meaning they know full well they are doing something that is prohibited by God. They are acting blatantly, acting against the commandment of God. Here in verse 12, David writes, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. To what is David referring? Is it a sin of omission or a sin of commission? Or possibly a third alternative, is David referring to other categories of sin altogether? When we consider verse 12 and the beginning of verse 13 together, the meaning of David's writing becomes more evident. At the beginning of verse 13, David writes, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Here we read of presumptuous sins in the English. This is a good rendering. The Hebrew word here literally means arrogant deed. So in verse 12, David refers to secret faults, and in verse 13, presumptuous sins or arrogant deeds. Now when we take these together, the phrases secret faults and arrogant deeds, it seems to indicate those sins are not hidden from view, and those, uh, the, the arrogant deeds are the sins that are not hidden from view, while, while secret faults are sins that are hidden from the view of others. I believe David was intimately familiar with both kinds of sins, as we are. We know that he coveted Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. That coveting was a secret sin. It was only known to him and to God. But then it became a blatant sin when he sent Uriah to his death and took Bathsheba as his wife. That is a presumptuous sin. We too are given to these kinds of sins. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life 
are temptations that we all face and face daily. Most of our sins are secret sins known only to ourselves and to God. Some of us are given to more blatant or arrogant sins. All of these sins, whether secret or blatant, are heinous and deserving of God's wrath and His full indignation. And we must be honest, brethren, at this point. Absent God's intervention on our behalf, we are hopeless. Now let me come back to these two kinds of sins. David is speaking of secret faults. The word faults there could be rendered sins. And he's also speaking of presumptuous sins. Presuming either that God does not see or care that I sin, or presuming that others don't see it. In either event, it's an arrogant kind of sinning. But notice in both verses what David is concerned with primarily. Verse 12, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. He's concerned with being cleansed from that. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. David is being honest with God. Very humble. Very real. Cleanse me from my secret faults. I'm filthy with the dirt of them. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. I'm given to these things, Lord. Let them not have dominion over me. Do we look upon our sin that way? Our secret faults, do we feel filthy with them? Do we not desire to be cleansed from that filth? Do we look upon ourselves as things that control us? Throughout the scriptures, I didn't take the time to put down the verses there. They are many. Idolatry is when a person gives his thoughts and mind and heart over to something that is ungodly. It could be virtually anything. In fact, in our society, we look at addictions in a kind of a, 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 a benign way. We, we get addicted to drugs, or we get addicted to this, alcohol, or we get addicted to something else. Brethren, those addictions are forms of idolatry. They mean more to us than righteousness. And when that happens, we have given ourselves over to their dominion. David says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Do you look upon your sins that way? Do you have an addiction that you need to confess and turn from? 
because it has dominion over you. David was honest about that. He came to God and pled his case. I don't even understand why I keep doing these secret faults, but I keep doing them. Father, help me. Cleanse me from that filth. I presume that you don't even look at my sins so much so that I do them over and over and they have dominion over me. God, deliver me from their dominion. That's how David pleads to the Lord. And notice that this is right after he's spoken so eloquently about the creation declaring the glory of the Lord and the beauty of the law and the commandments and the statutes and the, the judgments of God. There is a verse here that's embedded in the midst of all this that should be uh, a warning to us as well. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Do you want to be cleansed from the filth of your secret faults? Fear the Lord. For the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. We don't know when David wrote this psalm. We don't know if it was before or after Psalm 51, the one that we had to call the confession of sin today from. Psalm 51 being that great psalm of his confession of his sin with Bathsheba, his violating of God's law. But certainly, this psalm, these verses, verses 12 and 13, seem to hearken to those very things. And I alluded to those already with regard to David. How he arranged for Uriah's death, a man who was faithful to him in battle, who was a great friend, but he loved, David loved his sin more than he loved Uriah. And wanted Uriah's wife. And David was very presumptuous about his sin. We must be careful, brother. Secret faults turn into presumptuous sins that have dominion over us. At the end of verse 13, David, in utter humility, recognizes that when God rises up to the aid of the sinner, then I shall be blameless, David writes, and I shall be innocent of great transgressions. Notice David does not promote his own righteousness in these verses, but is pleading for the help of the Lord to intervene. Cleanse me. Take away these things that they wouldn't have dominion over me. He is not relying on his own strength or his own will. He is very carefully admitting his inability to deal with these well and that he needs help. Then I shall be blameless when God rises up and delivers me and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Brethren, herein is the great and glorious good news of the Bible. God saves by cleansing man from sin and delivering man from the dominion of sin. 
How is this done? How does God do this? God does this by and through sacrifice. The sacrifice of sending His only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. Jesus came as the great bridegroom, the second Adam, sacrificing His life while doing battle with Satan to crush His head. In whom was David's strength and redeemer? The passage tells us the Lord of hosts. It is He who rises up to save. It is He who overthrows the dominion of sin and makes the humble adopted sons of God's kingdom out of sinners. He too is our strength and our redeemer. He is our fortress and strong rock. He is our high tower, the Bible says. In Him there is salvation, deliverance from the dominance of sin. There are two kingdoms, Satan's and Christ's. In whom will you trust to be delivered from Satan's that you might live as sons of the living God? Brethren, how do we deal with our secret sins? Do they dominate us? When they have dominion over us, they become the arrogant sins of David's reference here, presumptuous sins, as if no one sees them. When God sees all. From where does deliverance come? David shows us the pathway. The humble man, realizing his utter utter inability to deliver himself from his own sin, casts himself on the Lord of glory, who has sacrificed himself to cleanse us and redeem us. There is salvation for man. It is in Jesus Christ. Brethren, we need to be reminded of this often. Because so often we are given to presumptuous sin. Our passage is glorious in that it speaks of the glory of God. And it is just as glorious when it speaks of deliverance from sin. And David, at the end, I believe having found that deliverance... In continued humility, writes these words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Where is your strength to overcome those sins? It too is in the Lord. It too is in the Lord of hosts who created all these things. And therein lies the beauty of this great song. As David began with the creation, and how God by His very Word brought all things into existence and sustains all things by the power of His Word, ends with that same Lord who has that great power as being the one who strengthens David to flee from his sin and redeems him from the curse of that sin.
That's why Paul could say, in Him we live and move and have our being. Salvation doesn't stop with a confession of sin. Salvation is a turning from sin and a living under righteousness. It is a life given over to the one who's given his life for us. And this brings us back to sacrifice. We sacrifice because he first sacrificed for us. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12 and we'll conclude there. Beginning in verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that David penned this great song. Psalm 19, that speaks of your glorious creation, your powerful and valuable and sweet words that bring us to our knees in repentance, that you might lift us up to newness of life. We thank you that you humble us, O Lord. We need to be humbled. We, like David, cry out to you. How do we know these secret faults? Why do we do these things? And please, O Lord, don't let sin have dominion over us, that we would presume upon your grace. Father, we pray that you would purge from us our sins. Help us to be faithful to confess and to repent. And to do it truly. I pray for those who struggle with sin in our congregation. Whoever they might be. Who are given to the dominance of that sin. I pray that they will seek your face, O Lord, and you will deliver them. You are the great deliverer, our great high tower our stronghold, our defense against sin. Bring deliverance to your congregation, O Lord. And Father, may we embrace the righteousness that your Son, Jesus Christ, has taught us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to disciple the nations, to subdue the earth and to fill it. Father, let us have satisfaction in those things and help us never again to have satisfaction in our sin. Father, only you can give us deliverance through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. Goad our hearts by your Spirit. Teach us your ways from your Word. Enlighten us to those things which you've called us to in righteousness that we may love them, so that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. 
for our families that are traveling, Lord. Many are taking students back to school, others on vacation. Uh, bless them in their travels and bring them home safely. We do pray for our students, those at home and away, that in this new school year that they would be diligent to learn of your creation, to learn of the, the talents that you've given them as well, and to hone those skills that they would be good and fit vessels for your use in the kingdom of God. Bless them in their efforts. We pray for our families, Lord, that you'll bless them, and our singles in the church, that you'll bless them as well. We pray that you would give them friendships that would be nurtured and satisfying in their faith. Bless the work of their hands and the work of the hands of all of us as we endeavor to honor you, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Father, we do pray for your kingdom. We pray for the persecuted church around the world and ask that you would bring deliverance to them. That their faithfulness would pour over the, the many nations where they live to the unbeliever. That they would see the light of life in the faith of these people. And that they would turn from their sin and turn to your Son by faith. Father, we pray that the Spirit would go out over the earth that way and convert the souls of men. That truly we would see a great multitude come to you as the early church saw in the day, at the day of Pentecost and thereafter. We ask that you would bring those days again, Lord. Lord. We do thank you for our mission work down in Middlesboro. We ask your blessings upon it. We thank you for two new families that are uh, considering joining the, the work there. We ask your blessings upon them as they make that decision. We pray, Father, that the gospel would go forth with clarity in that region of our state and that it would be blessed greatly that men and women would come to you by faith. We pray the same for Ludlow, Kentucky, Lord, as we are here. Help us to reach out and to be a, a good neighbor to those around us, but also to share our faith and call men and women into your kingdom. Help us to be faithful. We commit these ways to you, O Lord, with thanksgiving in our hearts. For you have brought us out of darkness into the marvelous light of your Son, Jesus Christ. And now we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, praying together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.